the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 40 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. Estate planning attorney Bob Bergman here broadcasting from my now COVID-free office in San Jose, California. It's good to be better. Still have a lingering cough, but of course, uh, if you've had COVID, you may uh, have experienced the same thing that you're you're COVID-free, but you still have a lingering cough. Uh, that's going to last for a while, and it may attack me during the show today. So I just thought I'd warn you all ahead of time. If that happens, I will try to turn away from the microphone so it doesn't blow your eardrums out uh, because I can have a very loud cough. All you have to do is ask my family, or if you could talk to them, talk to my cats at home because I have terrified my cats before with my cough. So um, I'm going to follow my usual format today of going through and answering some questions and comments from around the state of California. At the same time, I would like to entertain if anyone would like to call in and ask me a question on the air. Uh, The number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. 1220, like the call numbers of KDOW. And uh, I would be very happy to talk with you on the air and answer your question as long as it's an estate planning related question. Um, Don't ask me for investment advice or who's going to win the Super Bowl this year or uh, anything like that or how to vote in the upcoming election. I, I, I don't get into that kind of stuff on my show. But any estate planning question, I'd be happy to entertain. I want to also let you know that I am right now looking at a couple of dates in October to bring back my estate planning workshop, which actually is a different kind of estate planning workshop than many you may have heard of or even ones that I've given in the past. It's been uh, very well received over the last year or so that I've been doing it. And I'm considering doing a workshop during the week over a lunch hour, like from 12 to 1 or 11.30 to 12.30. It would be useful if you would attend something like that during the week, maybe because you're retired or you have a very flexible work schedule. It would be helpful to me if you would email to me 
at radio, R-A-D-A-O, at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com, and let me know that that would be of interest to you. Um, I'm considering doing both a a midweek, middle of the day. I'm considering doing an early evening, midweek, maybe like from 6.30 to 7.30. So it's basically after dinner. But uh, still, when um, but would be done before the elevator in my building shuts down for the evening, because I want to make sure if you need an elevator to get around in a multi-story building, I want to make sure that the elevator is still operating. It shuts down pretty much at eight o'clock in the evening, so I'd be doing an earlier evening workshop, probably from six thirty to seven thirty, to give plenty of time for us to escape the building. Um, those of us who may need an elevator, which I do uh, now and then because of my uh, my injuries from my stroke um, that I had last year. Sometimes I, I can negotiate the staircase. Sometimes I really need to take an elevator uh, because it gets a little too hard going up and down a staircase. And I understand uh, that people uh, do need an elevator. That's why I make sure wherever my office is, it's either on the first floor or if it's on a higher floor, there has to be an elevator in the building. That's a requirement for me because I know I have a fair number of clients that uh, cannot negotiate a staircase um, either because of their ability to walk or maybe they are wheelchair bound. And so I want to make sure and want to let everybody know out there Um, My office is ADA compliant, and it is accessible if you are in a wheelchair. So that's kind of an important thing as far as I'm concerned, um, that it is accessible so that you can get into my office if you need to meet with me. So, no one having called in just yet, I'm going to go ahead and start the show with... uh, Situation out of Elk Grove, California. And here's the, the facts. It says, my dad passed in August of this year. My mom passed unexpectedly in 2018. In 2019, my dad created a trust, remarried in 2020 to someone I believe is a scam artist. He bought a new house in 2020 before selling what was our family home in 2021. The house was a mess. His new wife hired a cleaning crew and a realtor to coordinate the sale for my dad. The house sold for $800,000. Then this person says, My stepmother manipulated my dad to turn against all four of us children, straining our relationships until recently. He had a terminal cancer diagnosis in spring of this year and apparently had his trust amended or created a new one. His wife allegedly told someone, all four of us kids get nothing, but the grandchildren are beneficiaries for college funds. I have a copy of the original trust. If it's amended and the new trust says all four kids are disinherited, Do I have a case to make that my dad was manipulated and convinced to leave all assets to his wife of two years? 
What if I attempt to administer the trust that I have? I don't know what changes were made, and when I called the amending attorney, he said he can't help me with any information. All right. If this trust was amended, there's a new trust. When the father died, California law would require that the new tr- that this trust be sent to everyone who's a beneficiary named in the trust, which would include those grandchildren and presumably the new spouse. But most attorneys, including myself, would also conclude that a copy of the trust must be sent to those people who would be the intestate heirs of the person who died. And in this case, that would include the four siblings, the four children of this person who died. So they should have gotten a copy of the trust, or they should get a copy of the trust as part of the administration of the trust, of their father's trust. Now, he just passed away, according to the information here, a couple of weeks ago, which means um, nothing has really happened yet. It may be that that's being handled right now. As far as challenging the father's new trust, that could be extremely difficult. As long as he was mentally competent, um, it's hard to prove undue influence, especially undue influence of someone that is married to the person. So it would be kind of hard to challenge. It can be done. But there would be a whole bunch of evidence that would have to be collected, and you would probably need witnesses who could testify as to things they overheard, behavior that they saw, things like that. So I think as a practical matter, it's not really going to be successful. Well, we're coming up on the first break of the show today. If you'd like to call in, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800 800- 516-1220 and uh, we'll continue after this first break with more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman in San Jose, California. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back. We're going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And now we go to Vallejo, California, and this is a probate question. So it says we have a probate going where we're doing a cash out refinance from a property in the estate to pay out cash to siblings, um, presumably so that uh, one of the persons can, uh, one of the heirs can receive the property. Does the probate have to be closed in order for the lender to move forward? Kind of hard to tell from this question. You know, have they already applied for a loan? Are they trying to uh, just go ahead and and get a um, get a loan to distribute cash? from the probate, um, I would say if you're going to do a, a cash-out refi where, where you have um, siblings essentially buying out 
uh, a sibling buying out the other siblings, that's probably uh, best done after the probate's done so that um, you're, you're actually... <clears throat> Uh, you're actually buying out the other siblings. It's kind of hard to tell from the way the the information is presented just exactly where in the process they are for doing some kind of a refinance. But, um, you know, you, you could, of course, borrow money in the probate, but you still can't distribute the money out until the probate court... <coughs> Excuse me until the probate court authorizes the distribution in a final decree of distribution. So um, that's kind of the short answer about that. Now here's a situation out of Riverside, and I think when you hear it, you will probably know what the, what the answer is. This person said, I'm the successor trustee of my mother's trust, and my niece is the successor trustee to serve after me. Okay. And when my niece discovered she was the second successor trustee, she got upset and hired her own attorney. Now, her attorney and my attorney apparently are friends and have done nothing to protect me. When I set up an appointment to administer my mother's personal belongings with the rest of my family, I was physically attacked by them. I can't get an answer from my attorney about what my legal rights are. He's also misled me on what my legal responsibilities are and has lied about my efforts to the other attorney. I'd say right there, if those things are true, go to the State Bar of California File a formal complaint against your attorney. They will have to investigate it. And if they determine that he did the things that you're claiming that he did, he can be disciplined by the bar, uh, up to and including losing his license to practice law. But I think the, the, the interesting thing is this person wanted to know, do I have any rights against physical attack physical attack from other beneficiaries of the trust in trust administration. Well, of course you do. You have a right to not be physically attacked by anyone. It has nothing to do with a trust or anything like that. If you're going to a house in order to gather personal property together so that it can be administered and there's other beneficiaries there and they physically attack you, call the police call the police, wait for the police to come and point them out and say, I want to file a complaint. To head that off in the future, you can do what's called civil standby, which usually involves contacting the sheriff's office and requesting and indicating, I'm going to this property in order to handle things for administration of this estate and I am concerned that I'm going to be physically attacked by other people at the property who don't like what I'm doing. Can you arrange to have a deputy meet me there so that they will basically not try stuff like that? It's called civil standby. 
And uh, and if you have like a police officer present and then someone physically attacks you, the police officer will see that and can immediately arrest them for assault and battery and will arrest them and will cuff them, probably call for backup, and then we'll take them downtown to be booked for the crime of battery. So you might have seen that one coming. I don't know. But, um, you know, in my experience, it's not that common that an attorney is going to do something to actively mislead a client. Um, And about the most the attorney could have told this person anyway is if you are physically assaulted, go file a complaint with the police. There's no way to stop someone physically assaulting you other than to not be there or have a police officer on civil standby Um, or bring a half a dozen of your big burly friends to stand around you and protect you. Uh, I mean, that's I don't know what the attorney in this case, what the attorney was supposed to do to somehow prevent that. Uh, There's nothing I as an attorney can do to prevent family members fighting with each other, attacking each other or doing most anything. I have no police authority and attorneys don't have police authority. They don't have arrest authority. They don't have prosecutorial authority unless they are prosecutors. So that was just kind of an interesting situation out of Riverside. Okay. San Mateo, California. We have one more before we reach the mid-show break. A little time for this. My mother passed away in 2013. She had an AB trust with my stepfather. Now, an AB trust is a trust where the deceased spouse's share of property goes into an irrevocable trust for the benefit of the surviving spouse but typically, it already has predetermined ultimate beneficiaries that cannot be changed by the surviving spouse. This person says, I'm the beneficiary of 75% of the B trust. My stepfather wants to sell the house. The house was titled to the B trust when my mother died. How do I guarantee that the proceeds from the sale stay in the B trust? Do I have any rights regarding the sale? Well, as uh, the remainder beneficiary of the B Trust, uh, I think your stepfather has an obligation to demonstrate that the proceeds of the sale went into one or more accounts owned by the B Trust and not into his own pocket. In fact, if it went into his own pocket, he'd be in violation of the terms of the trust and might even be able to be accused of embezzlement, which is, of course, a criminal offense. Hey, we're coming up on the mid-show break. When we return, I'll have more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll talk with you on the other side of the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back to the third segment of our show today. And uh, we're going to go to, uh, let's see, we're going to go to San Mateo for this next one. Last one we had was San Mateo. This one is San Mateo as well. 
Okay, so uh, this is another AB trust situation. In this case, the person said, uh, my mother passed away. Um, she and my stepfather, there's another stepfather here, had an AB trust. On the death of my mother, the B trust is irrevocable. So far, makes sense. Uh, my stepfather has since remarried and he amended the A trust. Now, the A trust in an AB trust situation is typically the share of property that was owned by the surviving spouse. The A trust is typically a completely revocable and amendable trust, uh, meaning that the surviving spouse does have the authority to make changes to the A trust, uh, up to and including changing the distribution set forth in the A trust. So this uh, person says, I am the successor trustee of my stepfather's trust, the A trust, and I'm the executor named under his will. Am I entitled to a copy of the amendment? The short answer is no. You're not entitled to a copy of the amendment. Uh, someone's estate planning documents are private, and you're, you'd only get a copy if your stepfather decided to share a copy with you. Now, if you're named as the, uh, the trustee to take over from your stepfather, it would make sense for him to provide you a copy of his amended trust or the amendment that he made because you'll be the one that is responsible for for actually uh, implementing that amendment. But there is no legal requirement that he provide a copy to you ahead of time. And uh, also, uh, you do not have any right to a copy of the amendment as long as your stepfather is still alive. Now, if he becomes incapacitated, then you may very well need um, access to a copy of that amendment. And um, this is where the stepfather probably should consider providing a copy of the amendment ahead of time instead of waiting for it to be essentially discovered after he becomes incapacitated or after his death. But like I said, there's no legal requirement that he do that. And uh, and there's also no right to demand a copy of that as long as the stepfather is still alive. Okay. Out of Concord, California, a question about a home and can someone live in it? says, okay, 10 months ago, um, the father died and he left two children as his heirs. One child lived with father in his home before his death and continues to live there now. This child claims there's a will leaving the home to her. I'm the other child and I have not seen the will if there even even is one. The home is still in the name of my deceased father. There is no trust. 
there is no transfer on death deed recorded. It seems as though the house must go through probate, whether there's a legitimate will or not, so that it can be settled and distributed legally. This person is 100% correct. If there's a will, it needs to be filed with the probate department of the county where the property is located, presumably uh, located in uh, Contra Costa County because it indicates Concord. Um, don't know if that's where the house is located. Let's assume it is. It needs to be filed there and a probate needs to be commenced. If, in fact, there's a will, it needs to be filed and it needs to go through probate. Uh, and it may very well be that um, if everything was left to one child, there may be uh, some grounds, that, of which I'm unaware, but could exist, for the other child to contest the validity of that will, especially if the will was done when the father was already ill and was being taken care of by the other child. The other child may have exercised undue influence on the father to induce him to leave everything to her. We just don't know. But these are the kinds of things that are actually hashed out in the probate court if there's any kind of a dispute concerning an estate. So this person's absolutely right. There needs to be a probate filed and um, to determine just who has the right to the house. And it may very well be that there is no will, in which case it's likely owned by both of them. And the one, the one sibling living there all these months, presumably rent-free um, and not paying in anything or anything, has basically just been freeloaded off of the interest of the other sibling, who is entitled to, probably entitled to half the property and entitled to have the property sold so that the net proceeds can be divided between them and they can each go on with their respective lives. And this kind of thing, by the way, this kind of situation happens very frequently. It seems like at least a half a dozen times a year, uh, I meet with people where um, where the parent died, um, you know, several months to even several years ago. And the family has done absolutely nothing to administer the estate. And there's one or more children living in the property and there's other children that have kind of let this go on and have done nothing about it. Um, and usually it gets triggered when the one, one living in the property decides, uh, hey, we need to sell the property or we need to take a loan out or something like that to fix the place up, to sell it. And then they find out <clears throat> for the first time something they should have already known, which is you can't sell a property that's in the name of a dead person unless you're going through the probate court and you sell it from an active probate case. This is because, for pretty obvious reasons, a dead person can't sign the sale paperwork. They can't sign the listing agreement. They can't sign a deed or escrow instructions, they can't do anything because they're no longer 
alive. I know it sounds obvious, but um, but it's not necessarily obvious uh, to someone who has maybe lived in a house their whole life and may even be the only child. And they just assume, well, I'm the only child, so now it's my house and I can do whatever I want with it. And the response to that is, yes, you can, once you follow the legal procedure to take ownership of the house. And in many cases, that means going through the probate process in order to establish your ownership of that property. Okay, out of San Diego, California. Question, can an executor change the trust? They mean, can a trustee change a trust after the grantor or creator of the trust has died in order to not pay a beneficiary their inheritance? Now, I'll just pose right now. Just think about that for a moment. What do you think the answer to that is? Uh, you know, without even being an attorney, what do you think the answer to that is? Clearly, no. But let's see what else we've got here. It says, the successor trustee of my relative's trust told me verbally that my relative left cash in the estate for me. But this inheritance has not yet been paid to me. It's been one year since my relative died. The trustee's not communicating with me clearly as to when he plans to pay. I believe he's already paid estate taxes. I have a feeling that the trustee does not want to pay me what my relative left for me. Could the trustee have changed the trust pages to take me out from the estate inheritance? Answer, yes, that's illegal, that's fraud, and that's the kind of thing that could get you in really, really big trouble because you're fraudulently altering a legal document. But here's the kicker. It says the trustee never gave me a copy of the trust documents. Okay, that means the trustee is probably not being represented by legal counsel and is unaware that there's a legal requirement that they provide a copy of the trust document. It's probate code section 16061.7. They have to provide a specified notice in a specified size type, along with a copy of the terms of the trust to every beneficiary of the trust. And if they haven't provided that, they're in violation of the trust law right now. And it could be grounds to have them removed as the trustee. So um, that would be the first thing is to make a demand that they provide a copy of the trust a a trust agreement as required under the trust law here in California. Okay, we're coming up on the third break of the show today. When we come back, we'll finish up with Plan Your State Radio. This is attorney Bob Mergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back to the final segment of our show today. I've got a small handful of additional situations from around the state to cover, but I'd like to start first with a a caller who called in, uh, did not want to be on the air, but had an excellent question. 
And the question goes pretty much goes like this. Is a will valid if it's handwritten, has two witnesses to the will that are not in the will, and is also notarized? The short answer to the question is yes. Um, if it was all in handwriting with no witnesses and no notarization, it would be valid, what's called a holographic will. Holographic meaning all handwritten. Holograph, handwritten. Um, when you add witnesses on top of that, even though it's handwritten, it's no longer a holographic will. It's an actual witnessed will because it has witnesses. The notarization uh, adds no value of any kind in California. We don't notarize wills in California. Uh, the only thing we might notarize, we notarize powers of attorney. Uh, we notarize advanced health care directives. We notarize trusts and deeds. Uh, but even then, a trust doesn't need to be notarized at all. Um, it's just the best practice. But the bigger question is, what constitutes a valid will in California? Now, in the past, a little bit of history here. In the past, a will to be valid had to had to be signed by the person. It had to be signed in front of two witnesses, originally witnesses who could not be heirs inheriting under the will at all. The witnesses had to watch each other sign as well as watch the testator sign, testator being the person making the will, the last will and testament. That's where we get testator from. And that was a valid will. Um, and there were many cases over the years where one element of that requirement was missing or was modified in some way, and the court found that there was no valid will. The law has evolved, and today that's the usual procedure for signing a will. But if you happen to make a mistake in there, um, maybe you only have one witness that signs, or maybe you just have the will notarized, which actually has no meaning whatsoever, the court can look, and as long as there's no objections being made by people, the court can accept any document that's that's signed by the testator that shows evidence of testamentary intent. That could be a letter that Uncle Joe sends to his nephew Johnny that says, Dear Johnny, you've always been like a son to me and uh, basically uh, to honor that and to honor the memory of of your deceased mother, my sister, when I die, I want to give you my house on Main Street. Signed, Uncle Joe. In the absence of some other document, a will or a trust or something that Uncle Joe had, that could actually be admitted to court as a valid will by Uncle Joe because he signed it, he named specific property. He named who he wanted to go to and said, when I die. So clearly he intended that when he died, that property goes to his nephew. And that could be considered a valid will. 
Um, so you could have a letter that could be admitted as a valid will. You could have, um, you know, anything written down on a napkin. Uh, it doesn't have to be very elaborate. And it doesn't have to be witnessed anymore as long as nobody is objecting to the will. And then then you have to, whoever's putting it forward as a will, has to convince the court by pretty clear and convincing evidence that it actually was intended to be the person's will and not just a statement of something they aspired to or hoped would happen or wished would happen, something along those lines. Okay, here's kind of more a family law question, but it ended up in estate planning out of San Bernardino. This person says, I have alimony and child support owing to my ex-wife and my daughter who live in San Bernardino County. If all my property and assets are under the name of a trust I have in a different state that I set up and not in my individual name, in case of my death or incapacity, would the California courts go after the trust and the assets in the trust? Would the court be able to override the trust and give assets to my ex-wife? I think the short answer is, if you owe alimony and child support, that is a debt that you owe, and it doesn't magically go away when you die. They'd be able to put a claim against whatever assets you own, whether you had them in your individual name or in a trust. Of course, they'd have to find them first. They'd actually have to find the trust and where it is and who's in charge of it, but that's the short answer right there. Okay, we're wrapping up for the show today. I want to let you all know uh, if you are interested in a mid uh, midweek uh, estate planning workshop, email me at radio at lawbob.com, radio at lawbob.com. I'm probably going to be having a couple of workshops in October, maybe even on a Saturday morning. So go to my website at lawbob.com and bookmark the page for workshops so you can see what's coming up in the future. Until next week, this is attorney Bob Bergman. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.